You're listening to Westside Church. For more information, visit us at westsideinfo.com. Um, I did want to take a, just a moment before getting going. As uh, Ty mentioned, Matt not being here, he's in Wisconsin with his family. Um, I'll just take a, a minute to talk about uh, the switch that happens later in life. And as children have to get to the point where, with honoring their parents, and as parents having to get to the point to be humble to allow their children to help them. And being making sure we have a lot of grace for one another within that, it's a really difficult time. I'm not quite there yet, um, but I know it's coming. But we have quite a few people in our body who are at that spot where they're starting to have to take care of parents that need help and they never have before. And there's a lot of humbleness and humility that needs to go both ways there. And there's ways that we as a body can help honor those that are trying to do that. And so... We've done, tried to do that right now for Matt and releasing him to go and honor his family and be there and support them. And so just be praying for those that are currently walking through that with parents or parents having to walk through that themselves. It's not an easy time of life. Um, so Lord, we just we pray over these individuals in our body. Uh, we just pray for strength and encouragement and joyful times in the midst of all of this and just energy and endurance to keep on moving forward as you've called them to, to both honor their parents and to be able to humbly walk as a family through these difficult times. Amen. Uh, yes, we did have the Sudworths in last week. It was a wonderful, wonderful visit. They left a, a great deposit. We really appreciated time with meeting with them and getting their insight and input into things we have going on as a body. Uh, I really appreciated Steve's message uh, and what he was talking about. It was a, just a quick recap. Last week, he talked about this idea of Jesus saying, come follow me. And what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus? And that Jesus went and he made space for the gospel. He preached the gospel and he demonstrated the gospel. He laid down his life to the Father by the power of the Spirit. And so it's this idea of giving total surrender to the Father, deep reliance on the Holy Spirit throughout all of this. And then he spoke quite a while about being filled with the Spirit. And he gave this great analogy about sailing. And I went and found a photo that I thought really depicted that this week. Um, they, did you know they make individual-sized catamarans? Um, and this idea of being on this little catamaran right here, you could bring a paddle with you. And you, in your own strength, and your own power, on your own little boat, could propel yourself along. And it'd be a lot of work, but you could get there. But how much easier if you can catch the wind? And that's the idea of the partnership we have with the Holy Spirit. You're on the boat. It's your little boat. It's your little life. The Spirit is here. Those sails are ready. Are we going to catch the wind? Are we going to be powered by Him? Now, the interesting thing about that, and I was, as I thought about this analogy more and more, when you're hit by the wind in a boat and it just propels you along, that's a little frightening because it's not by your own power and your own strength. You don't get to control the speed anymore. It's going to take you where it's going to take you. And so the wind doesn't always go where you want to go. And so you have to learn to direct and shift and move and put yourself in uncomfortable positions that you might not want to be in. If you consider how this is going right now, that boat's like pulling a wheelie. I bet that's concerning the first time that happens. 
he's leaning halfway over the side of that just to keep the right balance so this boat goes where it needs to go by the power of the wind pulling him forward. And that's us in our lives. If we're going to be propelled by the Spirit, we're going to be in spots that we're not exactly the most comfortable with. He's not in a chair. He's not behind a wheel. He's not controlling the gas. But he's working with the Spirit to be propelled forward far faster than he ever could with a paddle. And so it's an interesting thing as we consider this in our life. You go, yes, I do want that. I do want to be propelled by the Spirit. I'm tired of paddling. My arms are worn out. And instead of just sitting here, I'd still like to be moving forward. And I know with the Spirit that can be possible. And so I considered Steve's message last week. They were all great things to take in. But I always consider as I read the scriptures and I hear words, well, how do I apply that to my life? How does that great message, that great information, how does that work in my life? How do I apply this? And so what I want to talk today is this idea of applying these ideas to our lives, the application piece of it. And I'm going to talk about a lot of doing today. I'm just going to tell you ahead of time. And there's a delicate balance I know that needs to be found between doing and being led by the Spirit of God. Because there's a lot of sensitivity to legalism. Because we've gone, a very, um, we've gone very poorly in that direction back and forth throughout history. I mean, that was a lot of things that Jesus was saying when he came. is Don't be like the Pharisees. Don't be just doers who have lost all the heart. But there are still things that we've been called to do. And so we have to address where does our heart need to be while we're walking out these things. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about the idea of getting ourselves in right alignment, in attunement to what the Spirit is saying and doing. If I were to ask you, who wants more of the Holy Spirit? I doubt anybody would say, nah, I've got enough, thanks. But I think many would say that I I don't actually feel like I have enough. I don't feel like I hear him clearly. I don't feel tuned in. And as I I prepared these notes this last week, and I took a long walk, and this particular analogy came to mind of that when I want to hear clearly from God, a couple things have to be in place. And we're still in the age, and most of the people in this room have probably tuned in a radio dial. Still familiar with that idea. It's fastly leaving our society. But the idea of tuning into a radio dial, you can be on the wrong station and be getting crystal clear sound of a place you don't want to be hearing from. And that can be true in your life. You can be hearing crystal clear, not from God. You're not on the wrong, you're on the entirely wrong station. And as you turn that dial to where you want to go, the closer you get, you get a lot of static in between. Because there are spots you can be tuned in and be hearing nothing. Just static, white noise. Doesn't exactly hurt you, doesn't really help you either. But the closer you get, that static starts to clear up and you start hearing the sound of the station you want to be on. But it's not actually there yet. And so you get this kind of garbled sound, something in here and something in between there. And if you stop there, you would get pieces of the message, but you're not going to get the full thing. Did he say we're supposed to go buy a pig or wear a wig or do a jig? Which one of those makes sense? (laughs) We're not pig farmers and I'm not bald yet. I don't really dance. I don't know. What do you think? We spend so much time. What did he say? Instead of tuning ourselves fully to the station where we can hear clearly. 
to have that crystal clear word from God, where it's just, yep, this is where I need to be. And there's certain things that we can do in our life to turn that station, to put ourselves in right alignment with where God is and what he's saying. And so a lot of what I'm going to talk about today is that. And so there's three pieces of the message today. It's reflecting on what come follow me actually means when we reflect upon Jesus's life and what Jesus did. If we're going to follow him, we actually have to follow what he did. Not just what he said, what he did, which is an interesting concept that I'm starting to dig into a lot more lately. Because Jesus had a lot of amazing teachings, and we focus on the amazing teachings, but he actually lived a life that was an example to us. The life itself is an example we should be following. I want to talk about catching the wind, that idea of how do we get ourselves in that spot to hear clearly from the Spirit, and this idea, are we all in this? So beginning with come, follow me, the things that Jesus did. I want to begin with this idea of everybody starts somewhere. Because we can get to a point, and I don't think many people struggle with this part once they've made the decision to follow Christ is that I need Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Yeah. I think the majority of people in this room have been able to get to that and make that decision. And if you haven't, today's your day. And I hope you hear clearly from the Lord this morning to fully give over your life to him. But once we've made that decision, the idea of you need to go out and preach the word to the whole world, that part, I think, is where we go, I'm not ready for that yet, Lord. And we have a little bit of hesitancies there. I'm not ready to dive in. I don't feel like I know enough. I don't feel like I could answer enough of the questions. I, I would be concerned that I wouldn't represent you well. Valid concerns. However, everybody starts somewhere. But it's when we look at Jesus' life, he didn't start his full-time ministry until he was in his 30s. There was a right time and a right place for that to begin. Same with him, same with you. Same with me. There's a right time and a right place for this to begin. But he didn't spend that time before doing nothing. He was actively preparing for this moment. We, what's interesting, when we look at um, the Gospel of John, we see that before Jesus' official ministry began, he had already gathered his disciples. He was actively working towards a place to prepare for the ministry he was going to be doing. There's things that we can do to make ourselves into that spot to deal with those legitimate concerns before we move forward. That's the wonderful thing about the body of Christ. We might not, when we first come to Christ, be ready to get out there and just preach the name of Jesus. But the whole point of this body and this gathering is to equip the saints for the work of service. That's why we're here. We're here to get equipped. We're here to get built up. We're here to get restored. We're here to get healed so that we can go and do the works of service. But we got to start somewhere. Everybody starts somewhere. And then, as we do this, we need to start doing the things Jesus did. If we want to follow Jesus, well, what did Jesus do? And I've been really dwelling a lot on this, a lot lately, because it also involves responding the way Jesus responded to situations. And I mean, it almost has become cliche, I don't have one, but those little bracelets that say, what would Jesus do? And it's kind of just, it's cliche at this moment, as opposed to, no, that's a real legitimate question that I should ask in my life. How would Christ have responded to this situation? 
would he have blown up at these people? Would he have been calm? Would he be collected? How would he have handled it? What did Jesus do in his life? And there's several things that I noted Jesus did throughout his life. The first one is that he went to the desert. Not only did he go, he was sent to the desert place. The moment his ministry began, his first thing was being led by the Spirit into a desert place to be tested. And I thought about that. I think a lot of us have this idea that the bad things, the difficult things in our life aren't from God. Those are the world. Those are the devil. But that's not always the case. Jesus was sent out to the desert to be tested by the devil. That was the purpose of going so that he could learn some things or that he could example some things for us to learn. That sometimes we might be sent to the desert so that our faith might show true through it. And it goes from a place with our faith from thinking we will to knowing we will. The testing of our faith can be profoundly impactful for you as an individual because I think for a lot of us, when we say, like, I would die for my faith, have you ever been tested to the point of death? And so there's a difference between thinking we will and knowing we will. And sometimes God puts us in those situations so now we know. I know my faith is genuine. I know I believe this with the innermost fiber of my being. And there are things within that testing time that Jesus exampled that we need to be able to set aside. He was tested with bread. He was tested with prestige. And he was tested with power. It was 40 days. He was hungry. He'd been fasting that whole time. Devil comes. Hey, just turn some of the rocks to bread. Cheat. It'll be easy. Everybody would understand. You're hungry. And Jesus responds, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of the Lord. This idea, I can't let comfort, I can't let, let ease, I can't let the situation dictate what I'm supposed to be doing and what God has called me to do and what is good and right to do. My situation cannot dictate that. He was tested with prestige. Throw yourself off the peaks. It says the, the angels will come and minister to you, and your foot shall not be dashed against a stone. You're special, Jesus. Things should be easy for you. Use it a little. He says, no. That's not the way it's meant to be. Life's not always going to be easy. Just because I want to be special, I want to be unique, I want to stand out, I want exceptions to be made for me, doesn't mean that I'm always going to get that. Or that I have to get that. He was tested with power. Bow down to me and I will give all of this to you. I'll give the whole world to you. It's in my power to do so. And the whole world will listen to what you say. And maybe some of us don't want a lot of power, but I think most of us would really love it if other people listened to what we said. <laughs> and that's a test of, uh, of how much do we want that? How much does that really own us on the inside? This idea of power over others, whether actual power in that when I speak, other people's jump, versus I want to speak, and I want them to actually listen. 
We don't get to control any of that. We can't let that frustrate our soul. The best we can do is give good wisdom out to people and hope they take it. But we can't let this cause us to stumble in these things. We have to be okay with being in the desert and sometimes being called to that place. And then realize that we've been called to people. Jesus went to where the people were. He didn't go to the most prestigious places. He didn't go to the most amazing places. He didn't go to where the most amazing scholarly people that didn't need him were. He preached on a boat on the shoreline. He preached in small town synagogues. And he preached on the way from here to there. It's where the people that needed him were. Someone like Jesus who could draw crowds of five, six, seven, eight thousand people at a time went to a little well outside Samaria for one woman that needed to hear him. Just because he could do something great and amazing and could draw all these crowds, he did not diminish where he needed to be. He didn't have the response, my talents and my abilities are above that. And the people that needed him were the unclean, the uncouth, the uncivil, and the unwanted. Out of Mark 2, it says, And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? The implication is there. He could be eating with us. The good people, the cleaned up people, the right standing people, the ones that follow the law, the nice shiny churchgoers. And when Jesus heard it, he said it to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Jesus called us to people with messy lives. People who we describe, they're a train wreck. They're a screw up. They're the abuser, the addict, the convict, the broken. The people who we know in our lives need a lot of work. They need a lot of time. They need a lot of attention. It drains us to go to those people. It drained Jesus. It was exhausting work. He often had to go and find rest and recuperation before the Lord after these things. But they were still the people he went to over and over and over again because they're the people who needed him. They're the sick. They're the unwell. They're the ones who need the physician. And so often we can find ourselves in a space in our lives where we, don't, we just don't want to because it's hard. And nothing Jesus did in his life was just easy. And so if we say, I want to come and follow Jesus, we have to really count what that cost is. The reality of what Jesus did, the person we're following. It's not just, I want to come follow Jesus because he brings me salvation, and I like that, and let's just stop there. Because that is why everyone originally comes to Jesus, because he said, come to me, 
so that you might find salvation for your soul. But he says, come follow me. Because we can come to him and we can just kind of stop. I'm clean now. Thank you, Jesus. I really deeply appreciate that. And I'm going to look at my life and I realize I was wrong and I repent of what I've done and I don't want to be that person anymore. But that's a hard road. Could I, can I just be here for a while? It's kind of a spot we can be. And admittedly so, I'm not exempting myself from any of this. This is as much for me as for everybody else. But if I want to follow Jesus, I could actually follow Jesus. And so the very last part of this, in order to do all this, this, these difficult, hard, challenging things that Jesus did, we better be going before the Father day by day by day, as Jesus did. We better not be trying to do this in our own strength. We better not be trying to paddle that little catamaran. It's going to be hard. It's going to be exhausting. It's going to wear us out. We're going to be upset and angry, and we're going to be in that spot of legalism that we don't want to be. We want to be powered by the Holy Spirit in all of this. We want to be refreshed, refilled. We want to be able to go so much farther than we can in and of ourselves so that it's a, we can count it a joy and not a sorrow. And so we need to go to the Father. That of John 5, it says, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise following after the Father. When we're doing the things he tells us to do, it's a lot so much easier and so much more joyful and so much smoother of a process than we just think, well, Jesus did these things, so I'm going to start checking boxes. He helped the sick, so I'm going to go start volunteering at the hospital. He fed the hungry, so I'm going to go start volunteering here. He helped within his community, so I'm going to go start volunteering in my church. And he's meant time for people, so I'm going to open my house all the time. And all of a sudden, I'm doing all these things that I think I'm supposed to do, and I hate them all. <laughs> but Jesus did it, so so will I. But is it effective when we're going into it with this heart attitude? Not, I'm joyfully following the Father and the Son, being empowered by the Spirit. Versus, I'm doing stuff I saw Jesus do. So we need to be powered by the Spirit. That has to be a part of this. It can't just be doing. We need to have the mindset, though, I'm going to be doing the things Jesus did. And I'm going to lean into the Spirit for every bit of it. So I need to be tuned in the Spirit. I need to be hearing from the Spirit. I need the Spirit of God active in my life. So what does that look like? How do I catch the wind? I want to hear from God. But I don't. I hear me a lot. I hear the devil a lot. I don't feel like I hear from God a lot. Or you might be in the spot I'm just, I've at least gotten this part where I'm just hearing the static. I would like to hear the Lord so clearly in my life though. So Paul actually gave us some really good things to implement in our life to dial that station in. To position yourself so we are hearing so clearly. And the first one is this. Set your mind on the Spirit. Begin with the way we're thinking about things. 
out of Romans 7. It says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. It's going to begin right here. Start setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Stop dwelling on the things of the flesh. And those things for each one of every one of us are actually pretty easy to come up with that list of the things of the flesh that aren't good for me. It's not good to dwell on these things. If I struggle with profanity, I shouldn't watch a lot of things, a lot of shows, or a lot of anything that has a lot of profanity in it. I shouldn't do that. I shouldn't think about that. If I struggle with just the fleshly things. I struggle with being attracted to people that aren't my spouse. I shouldn't think about people that are not my spouse. This idea of keep taking every thought captive is an active thing. You know the things that beset you. And it's an active practice of whenever they come into your mind, no, I'm not going to think about that. And if you have to do that every 30 seconds for a while, you have to do that every 30 seconds for a while. There's nothing in there that says this won't be hard work for a bit. And every 30 seconds, it doesn't say do this in your own strength. It says every 30 seconds, go before the Lord and say, Lord, deliver me of this. Some people have the wonderful gift of being instantly delivered from their sin. To no longer have it be a struggle in their lives. But most people are not. Most people go through a long walk of sanctification of slowly becoming more and more likeless of Christ. That it's not going to be quick. It's not necessarily going to be easy. And it's expected that we will continue to turn to the Lord for it. And so as these things enter our mind, continuously turn that back to the Lord. Every time something gets in your head, whether it be envy or anger or jealousy or rage or covetousness or adultery or murder in your heart, 
Every time you get on the freeway, murder in your heart. <laughs> Turn it over to the Lord. Every time it happens, it begins right here. It doesn't begin alone. It's with you and the Spirit of God who said He would be with you. But set your mind on the things of Spirit. Dwell on the things that are good. Occupy your mind with things that are uplifting and beneficial. I found an interesting thing. It's just in music itself. I used to listen to a lot of, um, I don't know how to say it other than hardcore classic rock and then modern alternative rock. And a lot of that music is very angry. And I found that I would listen to it on the way to doing things and I'd get out of the car and be all amped up. And I realized after a while, it's the music I'm listening to that's doing that. Because I didn't have this attitude before I got in the car. But afterwards, I heard the lyrics, I'm like, yeah, let's go do That's not beneficial. Unless you're going to work out or something, I guess that could be okay. But in most of your life, you don't need to be all amped up going into a meeting. Let's fight about this. Come on, I'm ready. No, that's not the best. And so I changed the music I was listening to. Things that were uplifting, things that were peaceful, things that were calm, things that kept me in a space that I knew was beneficial to me so that I could set my mind on the things that were good and not things that were bad for me. And once we get into the practice of setting our mind by this, on the Spirit, we can also align that with walking by the Spirit. This one will seem obvious, but somehow escapes us. Out of Galatians 5, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's, that's a very straightforward passage. It's saying these things are bad. Stop it. And it's very apparent and blatant and in our face. Don't do them. And yet, there's so much struggle with the idea of don't do them. And some of these things, for a lot of us, actually they, they in it of themselves become an addiction. Drunkenness isn't for most just because we like being drunk. It becomes an addiction. Need help escaping that. Sensuality, sexual morality can become an addiction. Strife, strangely enough, can become an addiction. You just love stirring that pot and can't seem to not. These are actual things that people need love and support and encouragement in coming out of. And so the idea of just stopping it is actually really hard to do but will be even harder to do when you're paddling that boat alone. Because part of what we've been given is the community of Christ. 
That's why we have more and more groups that we're starting to help people come out of these things. We have a group for people that are trying to come out of sexual immorality. We have a group now trying to help people come out of addiction for alcoholism or narcotics. We have groups that meet in the mornings just to help people walk through the regular things in their lives. We have a community to help us stop doing these things. Because as we do these things, they take us out of alignment of the Spirit. They're getting us on the wrong station. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. And so in walking by the Spirit, there's things to stop doing, and there's things to start doing. And the things that you start doing are all kind of mindsets. They're not actually actions. Saying, hey, be a loving person. Be a gentle person. Be a kind person. Be a peaceful person. And again, so obvious, so apparent. We've read it a dozen times. And yet, something goes the wrong way. How quick to anger are we? Something goes difficulty in a conversation and that love goes right out the window. And when we submit ourselves to these things, that we don't catch ourselves, it's going to happen that we're going to stumble. It's going to happen. The point is, in that moment, catching ourselves, submitting it again to the Lord, asking for the Spirit to change you within, saying, I'm not being loving in this situation. Lord, please help me. My attitude is so poor in this situation. Lord, give me peace. Give me kindness. Give me gentleness. I need you, Lord, because me is going to make this worse. It's beginning to walk with him step by step. And that's the last piece of this, this passage. It's not just walking with the Spirit. It's keeping in step with the Spirit. And he talks about three specific things, and it really jumped out at me so much this week. In that in keeping with the step of the Spirit, we need to not become conceited. Look how great I'm doing compared to all of you. It's not provoking one another. I'm going to do this, and I know they're not going to like it, but they can just deal with that. I'm sure no one's ever had that thought in their mind with anything. And the last one he talks about in keeping step with the Spirit is not having envy. Not looking around at one another and comparing. Or saying, I want, I wish. If we want to keep in step with the Spirit, we have to be on guard against those specific things. Otherwise, we're going to stumble, we're going to get off track, we're going to hit the static again. It's not going to be clear because we're going to be so focused on those other things. And then we have to make space to actually listen for the Spirit. There's this wonderful passage out of 1 Kings talking about Elijah doing just this. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. 
Ever find yourself just looking out at the world and feeling that way? Everything's against us, Lord, and I'm upset about it. And I need to hear from you on this. The world's going to hell in a handbasket. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And so often we want this to be the case. Lord, I want a sign from you. I want the earth to shake. I want something to crash before me. I want the blaring lights to go off. I want a sign, Lord. Just show me you're here. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. This is where the translation gets in the way. There's not a word for this. Because the idea here isn't a whisper. Though that phrase and after the fire, the sound of silence. It's the sound of silence. The Lord was in the silence. The idea of silencing the noise in your life, internally and externally, to be in a place where you can hear clearly from God. That doesn't necessarily mean absolute silence but it's a way that you can silence your spirit so you can hear from the Lord. To be in a place, however that looks for you, where it's just when you're before him, none of the other cares are trying to grab attention at the time. That might be silencing the phone and putting it in another room. That might be going for a long walk. For me, a lot of times, it's involved standing in this room by myself. And I sit here for about three or four hours every week and just stand before the Lord. And I think about these things and what God would want me to say. And that's a way that I can hear God clearly. It's going to look different from each and every person, but there needs to be some way that you can still yourself to be in silence and hear God. Because if there's so much noise going on, it doesn't matter how crystal clear that station is. If anyone has ever been driving on a road trip with children with the radio on and everyone's asking a question at the same time, you don't know what song's playing. Because it's not still and silent. I can't hear what I'm trying to hear. And the last thing for alignment is we have to empty ourselves before the Spirit. Out of Romans 6, it says, If we have been united with Him in a death like this, like His... We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has domain over him, or dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. 
do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. And to shift the analogies for just a moment, the idea of being filled with the Spirit of God, and if you are a cup, a vessel to be filled, how can you be filled with the Spirit if you're already full of you? It's just, you might get a little bit on top, but the rest is going to pour out and over. And all of you is still going to be there. But if you want to be filled with the Spirit, you've got to pour all of you out first so that the Spirit completely fills you. It's the whole analogy of dying to yourself day by day, of putting yourself aside day by day, of being crucified with Jesus. It's letting what I want go. And going before God and saying, what do you want of me? When it says presenting your members before Christ, I'm giving you everything, Lord. All of me. Everything. My whole life. What would you do with it? And it's a day-by-day thing. It's not one moment. Give me the marching plans and I'll carry it out, Lord. It's day by day. Being all in before God. Out of Matthew 16, it says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of the Father, And then he will repay each person according to what he's done. And it's a call to all of us to be fully committed to the Lord. And it's a difficult thing. It's a very daunting thing. It can be a frightening thing. Because God's asking you to completely release control. And to just do what he tells you to do. And so we were considering this year... Are we going to shift the focus? Because for a long time, we've been, last couple of years, we've been dealing with foundations. And in one of our conversations, Chris actually said, I think the focus is that we need to be all in. We need to be all in with God. We need to take everything and walk into the unknown and know that I am completely sold out for Jesus. Out of Isaiah 12, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and He has become my salvation. Amen.